0: Welcome to the Chronic Podcast with host Ralph Malbro and featuring bloggers Andrew Juge of the SaintsNation.com, Kevin Held of Akeem Drops the Ball, and Dave Cariello of Canal Street Chronicles. This podcast is nothing but serious football talk and hardcore analysis.
1: Besides the Saints winning, the most important thing to us is making the jokes.
0: I think I might have IBS. <laughs> <laughs> There were fewer stories for me to write about team behind the scenes. Now with Rob Ryan, that potential has returned because he's essentially Jeremy Shockey at 50.
1: He's very really George Costanza-ish.
0: Oh, he is. I'm Graham surprised they didn't say he had a house in the Hamptons. Now here's your host, Ralph Malbro.
1: How about the new Open, Andrew? We have made it.
0: We have made it.
2: Chronic Podcast is now officially awesome.
1: It is. it is. It is it is officially awesome. We have music, we have sound bites. Uh we're practically uh, a global brand. Um Andrew I gotta
2: hand it to your I gotta hand it to your wife, Ralph. Um she kinda she pulls off like that. I don't know, she sounds like Melissa Stark, maybe, or like <laughs> if, like if that. you didn't if if you didn't know it was just Ralph's wife, um I would assume just listening to that intro that it was someone that actually uh, was on TV and and had a TV voice or a radio voice and she kind of nailed that so that was awesome.
1: Oh, and she has agreed that if the Saints keep the Mexican kicker, <laughs> that she is going to do a Mexican kicker update every week. Oh my God! So please,
2: please <laughs> Garrett Hartley.
1: <laughs> so 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 if you're if you want more fun games, that is a possibility. Um as if you had any more reason to hate Garrett
2: Hartley. <laughs> this is it.
1: Yeah. Oh, did I mention it'll be in her update will be in Spanglish. It'll be half <laughs> half English, half Spanish. So Love it. as as I as I think of crazy things. But uh Dave is still uh in the islands or in the Caribbean or or somewhere, who knows. Okay. And Kevin is working the night shift. Um so Andrew, but we're 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 right on the cusp of getting everything started. Um, where are the Saints? Do you think in training camp as as we as we go? If if you if you had Sean Payton with us and we got him like six beers in, <laughs> and we said and we said Sean, what's the one thing that you're most worried about going into training camp besides besides injuries? What do you think you would say I would say it's a two headed
2: monster of left tackle and defense um and this has been said a number of times in the media and uh, I'll give a shout out to uh to Wang for for his hilarious hashtag a new start um anus <laughs> start anus tart um <laughs> i uh i definitely it has a feel of that it really does this season because um you think about the suspension and the return coupled with a defensive coordinator that was there for only a year and then immediately replaced a new scheme change. Um, You know, the personnel hasn't changed all that much, which is surprising. Normally when you completely transform a scheme, you think, okay, well you're going to have to find the players to fit that scheme because the guys that you drafted and the guys that you brought in were the guys currently on the roster were made to fit an old scheme. But um, they're trying to they're trying to get these guys to all fit in, and certainly for some of them, um, the three four is maybe even a better fit, and for others it's not. So, um, but it, but it does have that feeling of just a new start and just kind of a complete revamp of the team in some ways, and so um, it's going to be interesting. But I think I think if you had Sean Payton, six beers, and a Viking in deep,
3: <laughs>
2: don't forget the Viking baby. Yeah, don't forget the Viking to top it off. Um, but you know, if, if, if he's, uh, you know, feeling a little buzzed, I think he's coming clean that, you know, I don't really know how this defense is going to take, take form and I, I don't know how it's going to play out. And if you look at the roster, I mean, and as I've been doing on my blog, um, if you check it out on the saints what I've been doing on my blog this, this last couple weeks is analyzing each. Each position and doing the camp battles.
1: Yeah, and and, and 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 by the way, Andrew does every player on the roster by position, so he doesn't just go like the first, the top four corners. No, no, he goes like eight or nine deep, and he gives you like two paragraphs on each one of them.
2: So, yeah, and I mean, let's I mean, let's be honest. Some of these guys I've never heard of, so <laughs> That's all right. uh, there there there's research involved. And what I came to find out is a lot of these guys either trace back to Rob Ryan personally, especially on the defensive side of the ball, um, or they trace back to Rex Ryan, and you have to assume that there was some sort of recommendation there. So, um, I, as, from what I can tell, the guys that the Saints have brought in, there's a lot of throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Um, and so, I really feel, you know, every year they come into camp, and we, you know, we, it's the familiar refrain, and we've seen it enough times that whoever. Wins the position. It doesn't matter. Once you're in the building, it doesn't matter if you were drafted in the third round. It doesn't matter if you were an undrafted free agent. It doesn't matter if you were a high ticket um, veteran free agent. But the bottom line is, whoever performs the best is going to make the team, and they're the they're the guys that are going to start. But I I think it is particularly applicable this year. I mean, this really feels like 2006 all, all over again, like the after Katrina or. Or when Greg Williams came, you know, where it's, it, yeah. hey, the best players are going to start. And I, I think that there's going to be a lot of that this year because – especially now with a new scheme because there there's no programmed or pre-written script for how this is going to play out. Um, they're really just um, – they brought in a lot of guys that they're comfortable with to compete and they're just going to see what happens.
1: Yeah, I mean – the, the interesting thing with this defense is, you know, people say, well, if they can just get back to, to 24, 25, they can just get back to 2009 level, they can win. But here's the thing with me, Andrew. We we all know 2012. They, they were the worst defense in history of the NFL by yards. Um, mm-hmm. But here's the thing that I was thinking about today as I was driving home from work thinking of things to talk about for the podcast. What if they were just as bad in 2011 and – the greatest offense in history, masked all their issues. You know, because the Saints scored so many points, This that defense really wasn't taxed very hard in 2011. Yeah. So it, it could be that this defense is going on year three of being atrocious. Um, what's your sense of that being true? I think it's a
2: excellent point, Ralph. And I, I think for as many jokes as we make on this podcast and <laughs> – with, with a little seriousness sprinkled on top from time to time. Um, that that's seriously one of the better points that I think have been made this off season. Um, and I, I do agree with it. I, I mean, I've been telling you for a while now that, um, this defense is really devoid of talent and I, there, I'm not, I'm, I'm all about throwing spags under the bus. And I agree that, um, he obviously was a bad fit and he came in and it was a disaster um, but I, I don't agree with the Saints kind of framing it in such a way that he ha- he took the line share of the blame for what how things went down last year. I mean the the players failed, and I, I really think that in large part that's due to talent um, or, or lack thereof. So uh, I, I think you make a great point, and I think 2009 uh, the Darren Sharper factor was huge. And, yeah. and if you remember that year, um, the first eight first eight or nine games were were the Saints were. You know, Skull Dragon people, they were they were tearing it up. Defense was playing at a very high level and getting a ton of turnovers. But after that, they weren't playing that great. I mean, they had that miracle win in Miami, the miracle win in Washington. Neither of those games, I would say, were outstanding games. Um, And then obviously the last three games of the year, of the regular season, were kind of crappy now. Um, In the playoffs, they got hot. And they played extremely well. Now, they, they were fortunate to survive the Minnesota game, um, but overall, they got hot at the right time. They played well, um, and as much as we just dogged Garrett Hartley at the beginning of this podcast, um, thank God he was automatic at that, during that period. So, um, yeah, I, I think the defense, by and large, has been playing really poorly, and last year, um, I think part of it is Sean Payton. I think part of it was Aaron Cromer. Um, not being able to coach the line because he was focused on being head coach. Um, I think part of the problem is Carmichael um, got a little too pass heavy and didn't have Sean Payton's influence. But uh, the bottom line is the offense didn't really play that well last year. And at the, at the beginning um, the line was playing very poorly. Um, The running game was non-existent and the receivers weren't getting open and they were dropping passes. So I, was the offense bad? No, it wasn't bad. Um, but it wasn't all world either. Um, and that, that, that was the major change. I think at the beginning of the year, then what happened mm-hmm. was saints started to run the ball more. The receiver, Joe Morgan started to step up. So the receiving, the receiver play, once you had that third guy, step up a little bit, all of a sudden Colston and more, you know, underneath are getting more opportunities. And so the receiver play got a little bit better. The line play got a little bit better. And, uh, the Saints kind of bounced back from that 0-4 start. And then after that, we had the the right tackle injury problem where we were down to Bryce Harris and then William Robinson after that. So the line play started to dip again. This is around the time that Jimmy Graham was dropping every other pass. And so <laughs> once they got back to 4-4, four four, it kind of reverted back. So the offense was kind of a ebb and flow last season, I think, of of yeah. Of mediocre to very good to and it all added up to I think they ended up what like third or fifth in the league that year. Yeah, um, last they but, did.
1: And um, you know the the thing with um, with the Saints 2009 really the Darren Sharper his knee kind of sort of I wouldn't say gave out might be too strong a word but it really started to affect him the back half of 2009 and of course. After 2009, he was basically done as a, as a, yeah. as a, as a contributing mean, you know, so, so player. So look, you, you look at the Denver Broncos, and t-
2: I think it was w- w- the Tebow run, was that 2011 or was that yeah. 2010? That yeah. Okay. No, was 2011, well, yeah. I, I thought that was the polar opposite of the 2011 Saints um, in that the Broncos' defense was so dominant, and they were stopping teams. No one could run on them. No one could throw on them. They weren't giving up any points. And literally all Tebow had to do was put one touchdown scoring drive together for that team to win games. And they, had, they also had a great kicker who was nailing like 57 and 58-yard field goals. You know, so basically they were telling Tebow, just get to the other team's 45, and we got three points out of it. Yeah. So, so that, that was kind of the polar opposite. And so it, it would be really nice if the offense didn't have to be all-world this year. Um, in order for the team to win games, you know, and so it, that doesn't mean that the defense has to be amazing. I mean, it would be nice if they're not the worst in NFL history for starters. Um, but it, but if they can make some plays here and there, if they can get some turnovers, get off the field, they don't have to be all world. Um, but I, I do I, I do feel like the offense it has it has regressed. I really do. And, and it hasn't regressed so much that it's not a top five offense in the league. It still is. It is absolutely still a top five, if not better, offense in the NFL currently. But it's not the best of all time anymore. I think think part of that is the the offensive line. I think it's the left tackle. It's the center. um, It's the right tackle. And it's the receivers, the depth at receiver. They just don't have what they had in 2009, and they don't have what they had in 2011. But if the defense is 23rd overall or better, uh, then – you know that balances out to a team that's going to the playoffs.
1: Well, I think the thing with the Saints, and we'll get to the, the I want to talk more about the defense in a second, but the the offense. You know, Drew Brees, he threw three. He threw 670 times in 2012, which was a career high, and by pass happy standard for the Saints in 2011, as great as their offense was, he he threw. You say, well, he threw three, 657 times. But they ran the ball a ton more mm-hmm. in 2011. Um, they had about 100 more plays that they ran. They, they actually ran about 100 more plays than they did in 2011 than they did in 2012. Um, and, you know, when, when you have Breeze throwing 670 times, you're going to throw more interceptions. You're going to have more chances for sacks, although Breeze hardly ever gets sacked because he's so mobile in the pocket. But his completion percentage went down to 63% and andrew which is a career low with the saints yeah. yeah you know i i'm not one of these guys of of balance and this and that they just got to run the ball better they don't have to run the ball more they just have to run it better cuz in 2009 he threw he only threw 514 times so it's he's got the target would be 514 times which oh by the way as a saint is his lowest attempts of any year um, so it's got to be somewhere between – you want it between the floor of 514 and the ceiling of 670, you know? Um, yeah. I, honestly, Ralph, I don't think they need to run
2: the ball any better. Their backs are fine. They, 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 they just need to run it more with the backs they have. And look, oh. now, now last year m- my problem was Ingram was clearly ice cold, and he wasn't getting it done. And they didn't go to Ivory they didn't go more he- they didn't rely more heavily on Pierre Thomas. Those are the types of thing I mean, they've got so much talent at that position. That's what I'd like to see him do this year. If it- if it becomes clear that, hey, Pierre Thomas has a hamstring and he's just not playing like we're used to seeing him play, then you gotta go with a hot hand. And that- that's one thing I think they just kept trying to go to Ingram, who by the way, you know, a- in his own defense, once Chris Ivory got activated, all of a sudden started playing a lot better. But um, you know, I've – I'm sorry, Ingram just wasn't getting it done. Um, and so – but – and, and I'm sorry, I don't get paid to do this, so I, I don't come <laughs> to these podcasts with statistics to prove my theories. But my theory is that if you look at last year, if you look at the average distance to go per pass play, you know, in other words, the distance to go for a first down per, per time that Breeze was throwing – My guess is that if you compare that to 2009 or 2011, the yardage would be astronomically higher. Um, And so my point in that is basically the Saints made Breeze's job way too hard last year. And he still put up ungodly numbers, despite the fact that he was dealt a pretty shitty hand um, with, with just the entire situation of the offense. So... You get the breeze in manageable situations. If he's throwing on third and two instead of third and seven, if he's throwing on second and six instead of second and 12, uh, that makes a huge difference, Ralph, a huge difference. And so he's he's still going to put up those kind of numbers either way, but the benefit that you're getting with him completing some of these seven, eight, nine-yard passes on second and six Makes a much bigger difference than if it's second and twelve. A six-yard, seven-yard pass is only putting you in third and five, if it's even completed.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, the the thing is, and and like you say, we don't get paid for this, so I don't have, we don't, I don't do heavy stats research. I do some, um, and I think about things, but this was the thing that I was thinking about in the car ride home too. You know. And I don't have any statistical evidence. It's just a feel, and that is this because the Saints' defense was so atrocious last year, Andrew. The Saints, I felt like their offense was there was always this—I don't know what you call it—stress or pressure or immediacy of like when the Saints got down seven and nothing, or it was thirteen to three, or it was even ten to three. There was always this feeling of. Oh my God, they gotta score. They gotta score. They gotta score. And there was never any, there was never any sense of patience and relaxing and hey, let's just call the game. Let's just do some runs. It was always, oh my God, they have got to score. And that's because the defense was so atrocious. Yeah. And I think that one, it takes a toll on Drew Brees because he, he's always pressing. And two, I think it affects Carmichael. You can't say he doesn't think that. He knows that defense is atrocious, and that has got to seep into him. Thinking, I got to score. I got to. I got to call a play. I gotta, we got to make a big play. And we got to do it now. And I, I just think that seeped into the from the opening week until the very end. That was a constant feeling I had watching the games every week, except for maybe the Raider game and. The Dallas game where they just did whatever the fuck they wanted on offense. Uh, but the rest yeah, of the time, it, that's how I it think,
2: felt. I think it goes both ways, Ralph. It really does because um, mm. when you're looking at the defenses that are playing against this offense, they're taking much higher risks because they feel like they're playing with house money. And they feel like when, when your offense is playing well and they're putting up points at ease on the other team, they're thinking, you know what, I'm going to gamble on a pick. And if it costs me a touchdown or it costs me a big play, I'm going to gamble on, on blitzing from the outside. I'm, you know, the play caller is going to gamble on, on going heavy blitz or they're going to gamble. And, and, and that you saw Breeze throw a lot of picks last year, and I think that's because defenses were gambling because they felt like they could. They felt like they were in a good position to take some risks because the offense was putting up enough points on the Saints to where all they really needed was a player or two the entire game to feel comfortable about winning.
1: Yeah. I mean um, – and the, the thing is, you know, I I, I just think this, this defense, Andrew, I'm not even really so much focused on statistics and rankings because I, I do – you know, we, we, we went back and forth with different people on the blog, Angry Who Dat, and said, you know, the numbers don't matter and this and that. I think – The numbers do matter some of the time, and they don't matter. But for me, the main thing I want out of the 2013 Saints defense, I want – as we go along during the year, I think a key for the Saints is that they do something well, whatever that is. I don't think that – they're not capable of being a top – I don't even think they're capable of being a top 15 defense. But I do think, Andrew, they're they're probably capable of at least doing one thing well, whether that's stopping the run – stopping the pass, getting off the field on third down, creating turnovers, getting sacks. I think they're probably capable of doing one thing well. If I'm not going to ask you to pick what you would want them to do well. What do you think of, of their defense? What do you think they are capable of doing well or improving to at least average NFL levels where they could rank, say, 14 to 20? at something on defense. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, that's
2: I, I, mean, good. I, I mean I I looked at I watched these players perform last year and I saw them fail in every facet of the game. But look, th- that's what's exciting about this upcoming season is there's a lot of uncertainty with a new coach and with a new scheme and that that's what is really makes it exciting for me even though I'm kind of down on some of the players in that scheme. I just feel like this is a, a there's a ton of unknowns and there's a lot of these free agents and undrafted players and, and a lot of guys that they're going to give a chance to, and it's all going to be about who steps up and who's performing well. Um, you know, it, if you were to ask me, do I think that the 3-4 is going to change them to be a better pass rushing team? I sure as hell hope so, because <laughs> I really feel like this change was, in a lot of ways, was made for Martez Wilson and Junior Galette. And so if those two guys aren't on the field doing what they do best, which is rough rushing the passer, then why did we change this scheme to begin with? So, um, I, I mean, I hope that there, there's there's a semblance of a pass rush thanks to this change, Um as far as the linebacking core, you know, I I think Vilma's kind of done. You know, Hawthorne has been a major disappointment. I'm not convinced that a three-four is a better scheme for Lofton. So, um, you know, I I'm not enamored with the the, the linebackers. The, the defensive ends. I mean, am I supposed to be excited that Kenyon Coleman is, according to Rob Ryan, is the best run-stopping defensive end in football and you know who else do we have a defensive end? I mean, Cam Jordan. Are are, are we sure that a three-four is a better fit for him? I mean, we think so. Um, but um, and then you know the defensive backfield's the exact same. You know, I mean, Keenan Lewis is the one guy. He he's the he's the sacred cow of the off season is Keenan Lewis, and so hopefully he's he lives up to his contract and he's he's at least a close to a shutdown corner. But um, I, I really think I, if I'm hopeful that one guy pans out. If I had to pick one guy right now that pans out for this defense, I would pick John Jenkins because then I would know that it's there's you're running a 3-4 defense, and I've long said the best 3-4 defenses, and if you're going to do it right, you have a, a gap-plugging nose tackle that eats space but has enough quickness to be disruptive and, and take on two blockers. And if John Jenkins can consistently be that guy for the Saints – they will be able to control the line of scrimmage, which means they'll be able to stop the run. And so, I mean, I, I think John Jenkins is going to be that guy more than Broderick Bunkley long-term. Um, now, we know his weight's an issue, and we know, but it, if one guy is panning out on this defense, I'm not picking Kenny Vaccaro, I'm not picking uh, Keenan, I'm, I'm picking John Jenkins, because he's, he's the one. Like, if, if he develops into a Phil Dawson or... Um, actually, not Phil Dawson, uh uh, sorry, Phil Hampton of the Pittsburgh Steelers or Casey
1: Hampton. Yeah.
2: It's Casey Hampton. Right. Uh, or Vince Wolfork of, of the, of the Patriots, you know, or, uh, you know, even, even a guy like Norman hand in his prime, but if he develops into that space eating nose tackle that controls the line of scrimmage, then I think this, the defense can work with that and they can build around that to make plays here and there. And so, um, that, that, that's the one guy. I mean, if you're asking me how one thing they do well, I would absolutely pick stop the run. Um, but I think his development is the key to being able to well, do
1: that. Well, that's what I was going to say, and and obviously I don't break down the film as much as you. But the reason why I'm, I think stopping the run and getting at least average against stopping or average to better against stopping the run is possible because Rob Ryan, you know. He's boisterous and all that, but in interviews he kind of dropped hints of the run defense for the Saints sucked and a lot of it was run fits and scheme and I can fix it. You know, so I think by him saying that that gives me a little bit of hope where he other things he's not he hasn't been as specific as he was with I think I can fi- I think I can fix this run defense with my scheme. So, you know, we'll see.
2: I mean, the only the only issue I would uh, the only counter argument I would make to that, not you know, not to be a naysayer. I, <laughs> I don't I don't want people to listen to this podcast and think we're like, oh, this season's going to hell before it even starts. I, I want to be clear. I am excited about this season and the uncertainty is is what makes it really exciting. We don't really know how this is all going to play out with this defense. And I'm going to watch really intently and see how it all unfolds and. We, we might be in for a really pleasant surprise, but my counter argument to Rob Ryan would be the future of the league is not a traditional I formation offense, and the Saints saw very few of those last season. Um, the future, at least the, the immediate future, is going to be the, the spread formation. Um, a lot of uh, you know ISO fake fake shotgun snap handoffs to the running back, and either a mobile quarterback that can. Um, yeah. kind of make the runs himself or, you know, some some, some variation of, of the, the traditional college game um, that we're kind of seeing right now. And so uh, that's great that Rob Ryan thinks he can fix the run defense. But, um, you know, um, a, a three, I, I, I don't know if a 3-4 is going to be able to control that as well when you're basically giving bigger gaps in the line, like right at the line of scrimmage. And then that that running type of game is really about make one read and hit the hole, you know. Yeah. And so that I, I feel like that defense could get gashed by by a spread formation, um, especially when you get in a nickel or dime where um, basically you're you're just bringing an extra you're you're losing linebackers and bringing extra defensive backs in anyway. Um, yeah. but we'll see.
1: Yeah, I mean, and look, uh, we're a small community here. We're all friends, um, and I love. Grandmaster Wang Moose Denied. And I love Reed Gilbert Hell. I just had him on the podcast last week. Thanks for crashing the server, Reed. Uh, <laughs> as we as we ran out of bandwidth. And buy the man by the man's book. It's 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 fantastic. Um but they both did their sort of like kickoff the you know the not necessarily a, ha- a long season preview but a sort of kickoff of hey it's Saints football season again I'm blogging, and they were so fucking Debbie Downer. I mean people accuse me Andrew of being the biggest Debbie Downer Saints anyway. ha- and I am kind of on WWL but I mean Jesus they're like I think the Sean Payton Drew Brees the Golden Age of Saints football might be over, uh you know the bounty gate all the draft picks and and, the, and I don't want you know. And I was, you know, Wang was like, when I was a kid, I didn't realize that the Jim Moore era, the fun was over, and I don't want to do that now. I mean, listen, people. Can we have Sean Payton on the sideline with Drew Brees for a, another year before we de- declare the time of death for the Golden Age of Saints football? I mean, the Saints are 37 and... Eleven, the last three years, with Sean Payton is on the sideline or in the press box coaching. So I just think this this whole sort of this whole sort of doom and gloom of of you know it's over. Goodell wrecked it. That's not necessarily true yet. Drew Brees is only thirty four. Look, he could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Whatever bad things can happen, and then you could say yes, it's over. But until then. I just feel like this team with Sean Payton on the sideline and Drew Brees healthy, they are at least going to be, to me, Andrew, they're not going to be any worse than 7-9, and nine, and I think they're just going to be the, – the NFC South is going to be incredibly hard, and they're going to be grinding their way to a 9-10 win season and get them in the playoffs. They might be home or whatever, but to to declare that this there's this giant cloud coming and the party's almost over, I just – I don't see it. Yeah, I'm
2: with you. And first of all, I'm glad you brought those two guys up because I just finished literally before hopping on this podcast. I just finished their season previews, and um, you know, obviously we're all bloggers here, and so we want you to read our stuff. And you know, I I, obviously I would rather you read Saints Nation than all the all the other blogs, but you know, I'm hoping and slash thinking that, you know, when you listen to this podcast or you do those things, you, you have enough time to check out a lot of stuff. And, you know, if you're, if you're a Saints junkie and you're, if you're not just spending your time on NOLA.com or some of the other stuff, if you're, if you're going behind the scenes to read some of these blogs, listen to some of these podcasts, um, you've, d- you've got some free time on your hands. Um, and so uh, I, I just want to say real quickly that two of my favorite guys, um, two, two of my favorite bloggers are Reed. Uh, with Saints win and, and Wang uh, with Moose I Got to give a shout-out to those guys because um, everything they write is incredibly entertaining, and I wish I wrote half <laughs> as good as those guys do. So um, their, their stuff is awesome. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can see where they're coming with this, but I'll tell you. I mean, let, let's just cast aside, let, let's say, worst-case scenario, Breeze tears his ACL or, or, or worse this season. And, you know, a a serious injury and you're thinking, okay, the golden age is over. I'm not sure in this day and age in the NFL that that's necessarily the case because teams are smarter. If you have a good organization, you have a good if you have a good owner that's paying money, you have a head coach that you believe in and you have a general manager that is making the right moves and the right decisions and taking the right risks and I absolutely believe the Saints is an organization. They've been to the top, and they have that in Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton. They can, they can win. They have proven that they yeah. can win consistently at this level. And Drew Brees is a huge part of that. But God forbid—I mean, he, he's maybe even a bigger part of that. But God forbid, were something to happen to Drew Brees, I feel like teams have shown, have been smarter than ever, about putting young quarterbacks in situations— look at Andrew Luck— Look at Russell Wilson. Look at Colin Kaepernick. Look at Robert Griffin Jr. or Robert Griffin III. So you're talking about four young quarterbacks last year that went very far and played very, very well with very little experience. And I think you can get a quarterback and play to his strengths. And organizations, teams are being smarter than ever now about playing to their strengths. And putting these young players in in positions to optimize their qualities without exposing their weaknesses. And well, so, I mean, it's great to have a guy like Breeze, but you can yeah. still win with with with, well, with other pieces. Well, and I think this organization is smart enough to do that.
1: Well, I you know I hate to I hate to, to talk about the doomsday scenario where anything happens to Breeze. You know, unless something yeah. would happen to his unless something would happen to his arm again. But I mean, you know, worst case scenario, say he. Breaks his foot or something, and he's out for he's out for three months. And the Saints go three and thirteen or whatever, and they get the and they're total shit. And they get the number one pick. Guess who the number one pick is? Oh, Javon Clowney from South Carolina, only the best fucking defensive player. Probably to come out of the NFL draft in a in a decade. Absolutely. And they would plug him in at end, and let me tell you, that defense would be magically transformed in twenty. Yeah, that
2: kind of that kind of reminds me of that the Spurs in their heyday when yeah. uh, when David Robinson had that serious injury, they lost the season and the, they yeah. absolutely got blown out that year and sucked, and they get the first pick overall and they get Tim Duncan, and guess what? David Robinson's healthy again, and now we're going to put him together and win a ton of championships. Yeah, I so, mean, yeah. I mean, I mean it, it, yeah. when you're a good organization, you you can absorb bad things happening. And so last year was a horrible thing, And I, but I, I think the right people are in place. But look, all that aside, I'm very much a week-to-week <laughs> and and, and cer- certainly less than a season-to-season type of person can we not look three years down the road? Yeah. I mean, We have Sean Payton as a coach. We have Drew Brees as the quarterback. We f- have a new defense. So hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel as far as that's concerned. Can we just see how this team does this year? There's enough for this year alone to be excited. I mean, there's enough for week one against the Atlanta Falcons in the New Orleans Superdome and Louisiana Superdome to get excited about without having to think about when is this all going to end. Yeah, I mean, look. um, I I don't even really want to look much further than week
1: one, Ralph. Yeah, I I mean. mean, That's exciting enough on its own. And look, I mean, they conjure up all these doomsday doomsday scenarios for the Saints. Well, I can conjure up a scenario that that the Saints win the Super Bowl, and it's not even uh, a pie-in-the-sky notion. I'll lay it out for you. Drew Brees returns to 2010 Drew Brees. Kenny Vaccaro is a Pro Bowl safety. Uh, John Jenkins is a serviceable nose guard. And, uh, you know, Cam Jordan takes one more step up and is a 12-sack guy. Uh, Well, that's not going to happen. What's that? Well,
2: Well, that's not going to happen. What, you
1: don't think Cam Cam Jordan will be a 12-sack guy? Definitely not in a 3-4. Well, let's just say, uh, okay, well, what about – Pick a guy. Junior Galette is a ten sack guy. Yeah. Kenny Kenny Vaccaro is a borderline Pro Bowl safety, uh, and the Saints have 2010 Drew Brees, and they fo- it falls right, and they're the number two seed in the NFC at 11 and five. That's a very realistic possibility of a Super Bowl, and I didn't list Andrew. I didn't I didn't list like nine things that had to go right. I Look, just listed about any-
2: four. Anything can happen once you're in the playoffs. Yes. Okay? So don't worry about the 28 other teams in the league. You need to be better than three teams. That's it. You need to be better than the Atlanta Falcons, the Carolina Panthers, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you can handle those three teams, you're in the playoffs. And so that 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 should be reason enough for hope for any NFL team. You just need to be better than three NFL teams to make it into the playoffs. And even if you're not better than three NFL teams, Mm -hmm. you still got a shot at the wild card. Okay, so let's just worry about getting to the postseason. And oh, guess what? On top of that, you have Drew Brees, who's arguably the best quarterback in the league.
1: Yeah. Um, And, you know, the thing is, it used to be, Andrew, even I would say up until up until about 2007, I would say. You know, home field in the playoffs and the bye weeks really, really mattered. But ever yeah. since 2007 is like the del- the the, the del- delineation point, the NFL playoffs are a free-for-all. And the, really bye, the bye week, it helps. You want it. But it used to be – like in the NFC, I think through 2006, if you went back like 15 years, the home teams – we like, I want to say they were like, eight, like it was like ten years of games, so it was like twenty games. I want to say they were like eighteen and two, from like two thousand and six, back ten years. And it used to be, man, you got that buy and you were solid. But now it's just a fucking free, just just get in. It's a free yeah. for all. You yeah. know, you like a home game because you don't want to have to win three road games. But even that's very doable now. Um so like you say just get in. I just I, I think there's this there's it's just really hard for people to shake Bounty Gate. You know, it's just hard for us to put it put us behind us. And you combine that with basically the history of the Saints until 2006 where they were 90% disappointment and failure. You combine that with Bounty Gate and Saints fans instinctively drift to the negative and you know, for me, Andrew, ever since the Super Bowl they won the Super Bowl, I'm just like, I think it's gonna work out. You know, I even, hell, you I, I've been convinced look. myself that 2012 was gonna work out for like 10 if minutes. Look, if you look at the
2: Sean Payton era, we had the NFC Championship in 2006, we had the Super Bowl title in 2009, and in 2011. You had a team that kind of got unlucky there at the end, but was arguably a lot more dangerous than the 2009 team. I mean, in 2009, a lot of things fell into place. Yeah, and, and you know they were fortunate there towards the end. Uh, you know that Vikings game could have gone. I mean, honestly, that Vikings game was no different than the 49ers game. We could have gone either way. Well,
1: I would, and, s- I would say the, I would say, as if you want to argue, the Saints were unlucky against san francisco they were that lu- i would say they weren't that unlucky against san francisco san francisco just beat them mm-hmm. if i'm being honest you rewatch that minnesota game that game's kind of painful to watch in a way because when you watch the end of it you if know the, the vikings, vikings had, had competency team. if yeah. they had competency on the on their sideline in a head coach They beat the Saints. I mean, they got a 12-man-in-the-huddle penalty. Brett Favre did a horrible, horrible play. I mean, it was right there for Minnesota to win. And it took a fucking miracle for the Saints to escape that.
2: That, That's not even taking into account uh, Adrian Peterson. Handing the Saints one touchdown and then right before halftime, blowing a touchdown on the other end of the field when they were inside the five with with fumble. Just costly fumble. So – Adrian Peterson definitely did his part in that game to to run it for the Vikings too, but the Vikings were the better team that day. I, re- I mean, they didn't win, but I felt like if, if you're just looking in the trenches, they they whooped up on the Saints that day. Um, so and and you know, similarly, the 49ers kind of whipped up on the Saints, I, I think, in, in that other playoff game, and the Saints almost survived to pull off a miracle. So yeah. Um, but but anyway, my my point with this with all of this is. Um, I think when you look at the Saints, again, it's a very solid organization with a really good quarterback. And I, I don't think we need to look any further than the team's chances this year. And I just – knowing what I know about the Saints, they, they've had enough success in the seven-year period that I, I – I, I, they're winners, man. They're yeah. winners. The, the championship, they've been to the top. The players have been to the top. They still have enough of a core there from the Super Bowl winning season. They're not gonna go out like this. They're not if I know anything about the Saints, if I have any trust or any faith in them, I just know that they're not gonna allow what happened last season to to be the dovetail end all of, of this era. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that they're not they're not they're not they're necessarily gonna win a Super Bowl this year. But I just think you will see a competitive team that has a chance, and, yeah. the, and, the, and in this league yep. with the injuries and everything, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I, I mean, as a Saints fan, I'm just looking back twenty years, of my lifetime as, as a Saints fan, where they went in every season with no fucking chance to succeed, none. Yeah. You know, the season you have, was over you before twenty it even
1: things that had to go right. Right.
2: You know? Well, now we're at a point where every year they're a threat. And that again, with the injuries, that is all you can ask for.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, I think the NFC, I think the NFC South is going to be really, really competitive. I think the floor, I said it in a tweet yesterday. Somebody asked me, I think the floor is going to be seven wins for every team, and I think the ceiling's eleven. And I just think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a free for all because I think Atlanta's not going thirteen and three. They're not going seven and two again in close games, and you know. ESPN did their you know, they had their Grantland, they had Bill Barnwell, he ranked all the NFL players and he sort of said, you know, Matt Ryan's been so good in close games, maybe he's different. But Andrew, that always levels out. I mean Drew, Tom Brady was fantastic in playoff games, his first you know, the, the first three Super Bowls he won. Now he's like five hundred since then. You know, it just over time the close game it just it just evens out. And I think Atlanta's gonna go from like seven and two to close games to like four and five or five and four. And if that happens, that bumps them down from 13 to 10 wins, and the Saints probably two wins better with Sean Payton minimum, so that puts them at nine and seven. So I mean, I just think it's going to be, I just think it's going to be a really, really. I think it, you could argue that the NFC West and the NFC South are the two best divisions in football. Um, but also, Andrew, I want to bring up a point that you know, if Kevin would hear, he, he'd be rolling his eyes and screaming because he hates Bill Simmons with a passion and rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> but in the, in the notes for Grantland, in the rankings, they had Drew Brees at number nine, which I thought was about two spots too high. He, they should, have been about, he should have been about six or seven when they ranked the players because they, 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 they factored in contract and this and that. But the, the, the sidebar note that Bill Simmons had was uh, he nominated Drew Brees for like comeback uh, person of the year or comeback player of the year. And he, he made a joke, but he was being half serious. He's like, I don't even know. Who coached the Saints last year? I'm being serious. And I I was like, why would he? What the shit does he give about what if you don't care about the Saints and you live in the LA like Bill Simmons or you're in New England or whatever, and you said who coached the Saints last year? I would say there's probably like a seventy percent chance the person doesn't know. And yeah. look, it just matters. And we saw it last year, and Sean Payton's gonna make a huge, huge difference. But this team, I think, I think the the weight on Drew Brees is going to be so so much less. I, I think Andrew he took it on because he's not Drew Brees is not, he wasn't you know he he knew he could not complain he, you know he fought with the NFL and said how unjust it was but he never bitched he never complained about how they got screwed over and this and that but I can tell you the weight on Drew Brees had to be immense because. He had, he had a against Atlanta, the second game, he had a clock fuck up, which I can't ever remember that happening since Drew Brees has been the quarterback. And I just think the weight of him, the weight on him was immense and Sean Payton is going to take that off of him.
2: He is. Um, and, and look, I mean, I I hate to labor on last season because (laughs) it's the new year and there's excitement, but, um, but I, I, I've told you many times that I thought the, the fatal flaw in the Saints approach last year um, was there was no there was no guy that fell on the sword. I mean, I, I think you can maybe argue um, you know that later in the year when Jovit came back that he was that guy. Yeah. But there was there was very much a let's hold down the fort and hunker down. We're all in this together. And no one falls on the sword, and 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 it, we're you know we're all just kind of doing this ad hoc. Yeah. We're gonna piecemeal until Sean gets back, and that was the attitude all season. And I kind of feel bad for Spagnola because in, in some ways I almost feel like if he was gonna end up being the guy that fell on the sword and getting blamed for how, what happened last year, then at least he should have been the interim head coach, and he <laughs> should have been he should have been able to call yeah. the shots and and you know you know at least take responsibility for for, for the games. But, you know, at first it was Cromer and then it was Vit, but, you know, uh, Vit was very quick to constantly say this is Sean's team. And so I just felt like there was never really any accountability and there was never really any head figure that was there that kind of took, took the, uh, the team by the balls and said, Hey, win, lose or draw, this is fallen on me, you know, and th- th- there is no until Sean gets back. This is my watch. This is my team. And no one ever really took the bull by the horns with that. Um, And so, yes, it makes a huge difference. I think it makes even more of a difference because there wasn't that guy last year. And when Parcell's name came up, I told you numerous times, that's got to be the guy. They've got to do this. They've (laughs) got to make it happen. And I really feel like that could have made a difference because even if it was a disaster, at least it goes down in flames you, and you fire Parcells, and then Sean Payton comes back. But instead, it was just like all of these guys completely underqualified in wh- way over their heads. Um, and so I, I just, I'd, I, in hindsight, you know, I mean, I think we all had hope that last Nick last year would be better than it was. Um, but I think in hindsight, I just don't see realistically how we could have expected any better. Well,
1: I think they, you know, I think the thing with Parcells. Look, we all thought it was. Genius, and I can I can. Parcells' reason for not doing it was It made sense. It made sense because he's old, and it would have reset his Hall of Fame clock. And he probably thought, if I I he may not admit this, but he may I think a big thing of it. He, I think he's like seventy two.
2: Yeah, and he's, not, know? he's not he's not a model of
1: good health. Yeah. Either. yeah. And he's had a couple of, of 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 I think he, you know, not heart attacks, but he's had a couple of bypass surgeries. I think he looked at it and said, if I reset this clock as fun as this might be to be an interim coach with no pressure and help Sean out, I might not live to be 78 and enjoy my Hall of Fame induction. I don't want to risk that. So right. when he told him no, the Saints didn't have any other like that was it. That was the one guy that could have done it there was no other option after that and they just had to piecemeal it together like there was there wasn't like okay we didn't have bill parcells so let's go to tony dungy or let's go to you know there just wasn't or let's go to jim you know jim Moore or whatever there wasn't there wasn't any other option so i don't i don't i don't necessarily blame them they were just in a really rough rough spot sean payton took a took a crack at what he thought was the best option and it didn't it didn't it didn't it didn't work out um,
2: I'm not sure anything would have worked out. Yeah, I don't but,
1: know, I, you yeah. know, I, but but Bill Parcells would have been just well. I don't know. Joe Vit was really really fucking fun on Mondays. He just yeah. he and post game he just was. Um, and it made 2012 semi-tolerable to listen to Joe Vit on Monday streaming. I have, to, I have to
2: admit, I'm gonna miss
1: that. I am too. I think they need to have Joe Vitt and Rob Ryan come out every Monday. <laughs> as like a warm up act in front of Sean Payton, I can promise you there is no way in help hell no, him. it's not it's not going to happen. But it should, Andrew.
2: It, it should. should. It should.
1: Um, but you know, as we as we sort of wrap this thing up, uh, as we go into as we go into training camp, um, you've you've done every you've done sort of every, I think you've done every position now, uh, super in depth. But, um. Who's a guy, a veteran guy, that you're going to be looking at, that you're going to be surprised if he makes the roster? And I'll start by saying, I don't know what the hell they're trying with Will Smith with this outside linebacker bullshit at age 31, but it ain't going to work. And I don't think he's going to be on the roster. And and the Falcoholics are already debating whether they should sign him when the Saints cut him. (laughs) Uh, So I think Will Smith is not going to be on the roster. So who's a veteran guy that you're looking at that you're like... Uh, I don't. I'll be I'll be either surprised if he makes the roster, or I'm looking at him because he needs to show the Saints something to continue to be on the roster.
2: Well, I think uh, yeah. Will Smith is a great call for the reasons you listed, and I, two guys. Uh, these aren't my picks, but two guys I want to mention real quick: um, Roman Harper and Patrick Robinson. Those two guys being on the PUP list. To start the training camp, I have no idea what's wrong with them, and I'm sure Sean Payton won't tell us, but if it's for any length of time, that is not a good thing because Kenny Vaccaro is going to get first team reps. He's the future of the defense. If the Saints like what they see and it's promising, um, I, I don't know where that leaves Roman Harper. So I, I don't think the Saints are hanging on to Roman Harper. I mean, Maybe he has some special teams ability, and maybe they find a role for him as a backup if is tearing it up, but I, I'm not sold, um, or maybe they move Malcolm Jenkins to, to strong and Vaccaro plays some free, or Iza Abdul-Kadus play some free, but um, so for him, uh, he's in a tough spot, and I think Patrick Robinson's in a tough spot, because I don't think he's a top two corner anyway, and I definitely don't think he's a top two cornerback now that he's starting on PUP, so... Um, I think his ceiling right now, if he's injured is, is nickel. Um, and I think there's a chance that the saints are going to play with Malcolm Jenkins and, or Kenny Vaccaro at the nickel spot in passing downs a little bit this year. So I know there are safeties, but I think they're going to get a little bit of that slot action, um, as cover men this season, um, which, because the saints are so deep at safety, they would get another safety on the field on obvious passing downs. And so, um, That that's really not good for Patrick Robinson and his development too. So, um, you know, Roman Harper is a little bit older and and um, you know his his time clock is ticking a little bit more than Patrick Robinson's. But uh, Roman Harper's also shown a little bit more and had better seasons than P. Robb. So um, those two are maybe on my watch list. But if I'm picking one guy, it's got to be it's got to be David Hawthorne. I mean, you talk about a guy that was signed as a free agent last year and was supposed to come in and be an immediate impact starter. Um, He was a disaster. He played injured a lot of last year. He played hurt, um, and clearly it was affecting him. He was not moving well, and so he was poor. But um, if you look at the OTAs, he was on the third team a lot of times. He was behind Roman Humber as an inside linebacker, and so um, that leaves me thinking, does he even fit in this 3-4 scheme? Um, and and if not, then he's probably getting cut here pretty your, soon. Put on
1: your put on your cap hat. How if they if he doesn't make the opening roster, how big of a cap hit is it?
2: You know, I know he redid his contract um, right in, during the off season to give the Saints some um, some room, some breathing room. You <laughs> know, because they were twenty over as it started. So I have no idea where that leaves him with a cap hit now. But I know he's been handed out a couple signing bonuses now. Um, so I think the cap hit's pretty significant. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think it's going to cost them probably more this year than it would next. But um, you know, they basically, instead of the cap being or instead of the signing bonus being prorated, um, you know, you would get hit with it in basically two lump sums this year and next year most likely. But um, I, I think his cap hit would be high. But um, you know, I think they're about five million under the cap right now. So if they're going to absorb something like that, maybe it's better to do it now.
1: Yeah, and uh, he was one of the guys where. They made a lot of moves last year, uh, along with Gay. He was the one that we were like most excited. He was, we were like, man, he is really good, really good. But that was a thing where I know people bang on Pete Carroll for being a, you know, I think because Bill Simmons is such a strong voice that he sort of contaminated people's thinking about Pete Carroll as an NFL coach, which he's proven wrong in Seattle. But Pete Carroll knows fucking defense. And that was a case of Seattle waved goodbye to him, and there obviously was a reason why. Um, yep. So, but I want to end on this, people. Uh, you know, in the comments and in the, the the email, you always say, "Ralph, the sound on the podcast sucks," and we want it better. Sometimes it sounds like you're calling, you're, you're doing the podcast from a tunnel, and we agree. <laughs> but the only way to get Super high quality sound like we tried to do tonight is through money. So if you want better sound, go to the podcast page. We have a donation button. You can donate through PayPal, donate a dollar, donate two dollars. We don't no need amount, that. no amount is too small. No <laughs> amount is too small. We're not asking you know we're, we're not going to set a, a goal limit or whatever, but we just need a couple hundred bucks uh, to do some audio editing to buy beer. And we also need a significant amount of money so we can send Kevin to Mexico to get the horse steroids that he needs to jumpstart his wrestling career. And horse steroids cost money. Probably for a year's worth, we're going to need at least four to $500 plus a bus ticket from St. Louis to Mexico. Andrew, that's going to run you probably 85 both ways.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's face it. I mean, we're not going to be able to afford biogenetics for cats. No, no, so. we can't afford so This is the ticket.
1: No, no, no. It's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be horse steroids that he <laughs> buys from a guy named Hector uh, out of a van. But yeah, this, isn't, this isn't Ryan Braun, people. No, no, this is, this is, this is, you know, this is, this is like, this is gonna be like uh, the dollar store of steroids. <laughs> <laughs> but we want kevin to be a wrestler and we're supportive of him and this is the only way that it's going to happen and you know if you donate enough money maybe we can get him steroids we can get him a speedo and we can get him some oil so he can be oiled up but that thing takes money so go to the chronic podcast website click the paypal thing and donate that's what we're saying um so andrew uh this time next week we get to talk real football. We get to talk practices. We get to talk other Practice. things. Practices and fun stuff. So uh, it's finally here. The long, 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 cold, horrible off season is officially fucking over with tomorrow. Yep, and
2: we're gonna start talking some real shit. So get ready, people. Exactly, it's gonna be so, great.
1: So for Andrew Juge, for the MIA, Kevin and Dave, I'm Ralph Marlborough. So long until next week. It's football season. Thank God.
3: Woo-hoo.
0: indeed.com slash match terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed welcome
3: to fail better david duchovny's new podcast with lemonada media on fail better david who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life explores the vast world of failure how it holds us back